0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke.
1: There's no indication that he's broken, there's no indication that he gets this, there's no indication that he's humble about this. But the point is well taken. First, you can't get to heaven by your own good works. The law is the standard that reflects the moral code and the hardened character of God. But we need a Savior. We need to cry out for a Savior. He didn't see his desperate need for a Savior. Do you? Do you see your desperate need for a Savior? The story
0: of the Good Samaritan is one that should make you think. How are you treating those around you? Would you be willing to go out of your way to help them, as the subject of this story did? Pastor Gary will remind you that it comes first to the question of your personal need for rescue, and where you're looking for that salvation. Do you see your need for Jesus? And if you do, are you seeing the world around you as He does? Let the love of Jesus rescue you, and let it inspire you to rescue others. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter
1: 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When he summarizes the law wonderfully, And Jesus says, correct, just go and do that. He should have humbled himself and said, this is a pretty tall order here. I don't know how to do this. How can I do this? I need help. And at that point, you see, then his heart would have been open and Jesus would have said, you're right. You can't do that because you need a savior. You are incapable of living up to every degree of the law. Again, Paul saying the law was put in effect to lead us to Christ. The law was not intended as a system by itself of rules and regulations. To make someone righteous. It was to open your heart to the reality that you can't live up to every single law. And thus, I need help. What do you need? I need a Savior. And Jesus dies on the cross because the law, the moral code of God, expresses the character and moral code of God, but it is incapable of saving us by ourselves because we can't live up to it. We need a Savior. That's why we need grace. We are desperate for grace. Because we sin every day. Even as a Christian, listen, becoming a Christian doesn't mean you are now sinless. It means, hopefully, that you sin less. Hear that, but it doesn't mean you're sinless. So now there's this struggle still the flesh wanting to do what the spirit doesn't want to do, and vice versa. So when we sin, we need to craft for forgiveness. We don't compensate for our sin by just obeying more and more rules and then being a better and better person and hope that'll compensate for our sinful state. That is a works oriented religion, and every single religion is works oriented except Christianity. Every single religion is about, I hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds at the end of my life so that I can go to heaven. The big difference in Christianity is it is the only world religion that is not oriented on works, except for the work of what Christ did by dying on the cross. As far as it pertains to us, it is based on grace. We are sinners. We are saved by grace through faith, and that the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, is what Ephesians 2 tells us. Even the faith to believe is a gift, is what that verse says. And so it is grace by which we are saved. It is God's grace. You know this, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. Jesus dies for us. We call upon a Savior. We need Jesus. Forgive me my sins. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be able to go to heaven. He forgives us. And that's how we're saved. This guy, stubborn as he was, did not humble himself, come to the place where he realized, I can't do all this, I need a Savior. So instead, trying to justify himself, he asks a technicality question. Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into this parable. He talks about how there was this man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and that is a 3,000 foot descent over 17 miles. You're going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, which is uh, in the Dead Sea area, and you're going to the lowest point on the earth, and so it's a drop of 3,000 feet in 17 miles. And along this route from Jerusalem to Jericho, and that ancient road has just been paved now. It's what we drive when we go to Israel. We drive back and forth on the same road. And the valleys off to the side, as you head up, it becomes a very mountainous region when you go up to Jerusalem. And the valley off to the side there of this road is called, to this day, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It is the very valley that David was referring to in Psalm 23. And the reference to the Valley of the Shadow of Death is that when the Jews would make pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, it was called the Valley of the Shadow of Death because bandits, robbers, thieves, they knew this was the route when pilgrims come up to Jerusalem to worship for the feasts. And all along the road, they would attack you. They would rob you. And you had to be really guarded. You had to always be watching and careful. You would always travel in groups, never alone, for safety reasons. But, you know, picture that, that typology there as David talks about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's referring to an actual place. I know it has a broader meaning to us. He's referring to an actual place, the actual fear of walking this valley, of walking this road with that valley there and the potential for you to be robbed and for somebody to beat you up. And so it was a dangerous place to go. Well, this guy, probably a Jew, doesn't tell us that he is, but probably, he's probably finished one of the feasts and he's coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho and along the road he gets attacked. He gets attacked by some robber, some bandit, and he gets left for dead. He gets robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. Jesus talking about this as a parable. And then Jesus talks about three people who come along the road and see this guy on the side. First two guys that Jesus uses in the example, a Levite, rather a priest, in verse 31, and a Levite in verse 32. These are both supposed to be exemplary models of the right thing to do. you got a priest and you got a Levite, both of the priestly order. So these are supposed to be religious guys, these are church-going guys, they're supposed to do the right thing. And Jesus uses these two as the example. First a priest comes by, Takes a look at the guy, goes to the other side of the road. Doesn't even want to get near him. Doesn't stop, doesn't help, nothing. Second guy comes along, he's a Levite. Same thing. Sees him, goes to the other side of the road. Doesn't even want to help him. Third guy comes along. Third guy is a Samaritan. Now circle that word in your Bible there in verse 33. Because Samaritans were disliked by Jews, typically. Obviously not by Jesus. And Samaritans typically dislike Jews. There was great animosity. There's a lot of prejudice between Samaritans and Jews. It goes all the way back to 722 B.C. when the Assyrians came, attacked Jerusalem, took some Jews as slaves to Assyria, and then they repatriotized the land of Israel by bringing Assyrians into Israel to bring the culture and influence of Assyria into the land because they took it as part of the Assyrian Empire in 722, 723 B.C. And when the Assyrians came, some of them intermarried with the Jews and they lived in the region of Samaria and the descendants from the mixture of Assyrian blood and Jewish blood are people known as the Samaritans. So therefore, the Jews, who didn't have their blood mixed, the true-bred Jews, if you will, looked upon the Samaritans as half-breeds. That's the way they considered them, in a derogatory way. You guys don't belong to us. You've been intermingled with the Assyrians. You're not one of us. And the Samaritans, they had kind of some quirky things. They believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They believed that you worship not in Jerusalem, but on Mount Gerizim. In Jesus' day, there were about six million Samaritans, and today there are about 600. Still are Samaritans in the region. They are a very close-knit group. They have strict regulations on how to uh, marry. Sorry, it was about one million in Jesus' day, and only about 600 today. And they restricted their circle to a tight-knit group and they would only marry from within and as a result it's they basically started to dwindle out that's why there's only about 600 a day but great animosity between jews and samaritans so check this out so jesus is instead of using you know here's the priest and here's the levite supposed to be the model and then jesus brings a samaritan into this story so you have to hear it with the jewish ears of this guy who's hearing this like he, you know inside he's no doubt already thinking oh great a samaritan You know, what's he going to do? And this becomes the hero in the story. This guy becomes the hero. Jesus goes on here and he talks about how as he traveled, he came where the man was and he saw him and took pity on him. Verse 34. And he went and he bandaged his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own Jeep. You know, he drives him to the Holiday Inn and, and then he takes care of him for the rest of the day. And then it says that he drops off two denarii. A denarii was a single day's wage. I mean, think about this guy here, this Samaritan. It's costing him something to do this. It's costing him his time because he's stopping to take care of this guy. It's costing him resources because he's using his oil and his wine. Obviously, his alcohol, so it's like an antiseptic. And he was using that to help with the healing and oil would bring comfort to the wounds. And so he's using his own resources and he's using his own money. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. But notice how he's just he's giving of himself to take care of this guy. And even after he takes care of this guy, leaves money with the front desk guy to Holiday Inn, then he takes off, he says, I'll be back in a little bit, and and if the guy's racked up any charges on room service, I'll pay him. So he's very willing and generous to do whatever he can to take care of this guy. This guy's a complete stranger to him. He just sees him on the side of the road. So Jesus gets through this whole parable here, and then he asks the guy, since the guy asks the question, and just, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, all right, among all these three examples... Which of these three do you think, verse 36, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And I want you to notice the guy's answer. He could not even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. That just goes to the deep-rooted prejudice in his heart. His answer is, oh, I suppose, that, that one guy that, you know, gave him more mercy. That guy. He couldn't even say S- The guy that gave more mercy. Let's just say that. And Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. In other words, what Jesus tells us is that your neighbor is whoever needs mercy. That's who your neighbor is. Don't get all technical. Have eyes to see the people around you. Where you work and where you live, where you go to school, who you socialize with in your family, the people who need mercy, that's your neighbor. Go and be merciful. This is a great story. Unfortunately, this particular guy, there's no real response here. Again, he's not, there's no indication that he's broken, there's no indication that he gets this, there's no indication that he's humble about this, but the point is well taken. First, first. You can't get to heaven by your own good works. The law is the standard that reflects the moral code and the heart and character of God. But we need a Savior. We need to cry out for a Savior. He didn't see his desperate need for a Savior. Do you? Do you see your desperate need for a Savior? And then once understanding that, do you look at people around you and are you willing to be the Samaritan in this story to attend to whoever needs mercy the most? It's going to cost something. And, you know, tragically, I think we're all a little guilty. Of feeling so driven by our schedule that sometimes we can't stop for somebody in need because I'm on to the next appointment and I'm sorry, you know, I'd love to help, but you know, I see you have that flat tire on the side of the road, but I'm really, I got to get to this next appointment. And a lot of times we just don't even do the good thing because we're just too busy. This guy took the time just to stop and to minister to this guy. It cost him time. It cost him resources. It was his bandages, his oil, his wine. It costs us something sometimes. And there was a material cost here as well. Two days wage for a stranger. Not, you know, just take a random number. Let's say you make 1000 bucks a week, 52000 a year. 1000 bucks a week, that's $200 a day. Would you spend $400 on a stranger? Two days wage? Would you spend four hundred bucks on a stranger? Never even met, but you saw somebody in need, would you be willing to part with that? Make a hundred grand a year? Double that. Eight hundred bucks? You'd be willing to part with eight hundred bucks for a stranger? You don't even know? Just because you want to be merciful to them? There's a cost in this story. This guy's a challenging example to all of us. We best not put ourselves, you know, from a distance and look at this and say, you know, that expert in the law, you know, he doesn't get it, does he? We need to read this and ask ourselves, do we get this? Okay, we got the Savior part, I hope. I hope we see that part. But do we also see the other part about how we need to show mercy to those who need mercy and that it might cost us something to do that? Go and do likewise, Jesus said. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. I love this story because it—you know it's challenging, it's cute, in some ways it's funny a little bit. I mean, here Jesus is, he goes to the home of Mary and Martha, their two sisters. This is no doubt the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, their brother, that same family. We know they lived in Bethany, a small village just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And uh, Jesus often took lodging there. They were some of his closest friends. They are recorded in different times in the Bible. When Jesus in John's gospel gets word that Lazarus is dying, he stays where he is three more days, Lazarus dies. Then when he shows up, because he wants God to be glorified in the resurrection from the dead here of Lazarus, but because he shows up, quote, late, As far as Mary and Martha are concerned, they both give him a little tongue lashing. You know the story, right? If he'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, both of them say that to him. And I don't think it was they were singing like sweet hymns. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. I think seriously, they were very ticked off. Okay, maybe I'll have to apologize to him when I see him in heaven. That's the way I read it and I'm sticking to it. But anyhow, so here Jesus is. He's at the home of Mary and Martha. And you have two personalities here, don't you? And some of you can relate to Martha, and some of you can relate to Mary. Because, you know, Martha is, she's always got to be cleaning. She's always got to get stuff in order. She needs everything just right, everything in its place, and a place for everything. And if a picture is a little crooked, you know, that's Martha. She's going to straighten it up. The place is spick and span. Everything is in order. It's like clockwork right that's Martha she's organized she's sharp she's the CEO you know that's Martha she's if she's not the CEO of her home she's a CEO of a business somewhere I mean she's got everything in order okay kind of you know a little wound around the axle right you know everything's got to be just perfect you know you don't even want to she's probably got the plastic on her couches do you know what I'm talking about my grandmother had that. How many of your grandmothers had plastic on the couches? Okay, it's terrible. I remember as a kid, it'd be hot and sweaty day, and you wearing shorts. you go sit on grandma's couch, and you'd stick to the plastic. It was the most obnoxious, annoying thing. And then you scoot. People think you did something. You know what I'm saying? And it was just, you know, so that's the kind of person I think Martha is. She's got plastic on the couches, everything in her pantry is completely lined up. Everything's spick and span. It's wonderful. She's, you know, we need Marthas in the world, Okay. But we also need the Marys in the world. And Mary, she's like, she's not all that concerned about, it'll take care of itself. One day I'll get around to it. It's all right. She's kicking the laundry in the closet like this, you know. Somebody Martha will take care of it later. I'm just going to kick it. If she does sweep, she sweeps under the rug. You know what I'm saying? She just doesn't worry too much about stuff like that. She's sitting around Jesus' feet. She's just soaking it all in. Jesus is our house. Man, I just love listening to Jesus. Now, Martha, because she's a little wound, you know, She's seeing that Mary is sitting there listening to Jesus. Isn't this pleasant? Are you sitting there listening to Jesus? Wouldn't we all love to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him? There's cookies and there's a dinner that needs to be baked here. Hello. There's dishes. Can you help me, somebody? And so she actually goes to Jesus and asks Jesus, Could you please tell my sister to help me around here? i got a lot of stuff to do. And she's just sitting here, and oh, we, I'm, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. Oh, aren't you spiritual? Well, there's some work that needs to be done, okay? Nobody's going to make the beds, all right? All by myself. That's what it is. So how about you just get a little more spiritual, and you can pray while you're making a bed? You know, and this is how she's coming across. And I love the way that Jesus, he calls her name twice. Cause you Get this scene that he's just like trying to calm her down. Martha, Martha. You know, like, just, just chill. Just chill a little bit because, listen, that's great that everything is in its place. We need some of that. All right. We're thankful for the Marthas in the world. But, you know, if it was only Martha in the world, we'd miss that sweet fellowship with Jesus. There's some time that you just need to turn it off and you just need to really be in fellowship with Jesus. And that's what Mary represents here. Now, Obviously, there's both extremes, Right. You can be hyper-spiritual and say, I just want to pray all day, and I don't want to get a job. You know, get a job, all right? I mean, seriously, Paul writes in the epistles, he says, you know, if a man does not work, he shall not eat, okay? So it's not like, I'm just going to pray all day, I'm just going to read my Bible, and, you know, and I'm never going to get a job, and I'm never going to take a bath, and just, really? And then there's this other side that's just like everything has to be done, and everything has to be and somebody's got to do this, and I don't have time you know, to read my Bible and to pray because you know, there's stuff to be done around here. And you can operate in both extremes, and you can drive yourself crazy. And we need to find this balance here. Yeah, there's work that needs to be done, there's stuff that needs to be cleaned, but there's also sweet fellowship with Jesus that you can't, you can't substitute anything else for that. There needs to be a quiet time at his feet. I don't know when it works for you, but find some time in your day. Typically for me, it's early morning. I just will get up, early. I go downstairs to our basement, and I do two things. I watch the news, and I read the Bible because I want to know what God's up to in the Bible, and I want to know what the enemy's up to in the world, all right? So I like to know a little bit about both, what's going on, and I can't focus (laughs) unless I know because I can tend to be a little bit more on the Martha side. I'm just, you know, confessing to you. I can tend to be a little more too structured, too wound, and I just got to relax, but I need that morning time, just some quiet time with him and I don't know when it works for you, maybe you're better at night before you go to bed, and that's your quiet time. I have found that if I try to do quiet time before I go to bed, I tend to sleep. <laughs> you know that I just tend to go to sleep. I'm not really focused, so you know early in the morning works better for me, but maybe for some of you, it's taking your lunch break. but I'd encourage you at some point at some place in your day, and I don't even want to be legalistic about that. I mean, I think it's good every day, but look, you know. Maybe it would be good for you just to get in the habit of once a week. I mean, whatever we can do to just take the time out of our busy schedules and sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen and worship and read our Bibles and just spend time with Him. Because that's why Jesus says, He said to Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. If you were to summarize it, I wrote three things in the margin of my Bible about Martha. She's distracted about what had to be done. She's worried about what wasn't being done. And she's upset about why others won't help her get it done. You know, that's her. And Jesus is just trying to calm her down. You're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. It's better to sit at Jesus' feet than to worry and get all upset about everything else in life. And I would submit to you, just from personal experience, that I'm more worried and upset about things in life if I don't sit at Jesus' feet. And the more I sit at Jesus' feet, the less worried and less upset I am about things in life. Take time to be with Jesus. Take time to be with Jesus.
0: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online. So please, join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net That's all we have time for today but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection.